Hello and welcome to Higher Voltage. What you are about to hear is a recording of a live discussion that took place as part of the Spring Professional Development Series for the College and University Public Relations and Associated Professionals, better known as CUPRAP. After this, everything you're going to hear is the first live episode of Higher Voltage. Enjoy. Hello all and welcome to Higher Voltage. Our podcast explores the ins and outs of higher education marketing and touches on all aspects of the business of higher education. My name is Heather Dotchell. I'm a Philadelphia-based marketing and communications professional who most recently led the Marcom divisions at two area colleges. Today is a very special episode of Higher Voltage. We are recording live during this session opener for the annual CupRap Spring Conference. Housekeeping tip, if you have questions for our panelists, please enter it into the Q&A function. Gab amongst yourselves, of course, in the chat, and feel free to take bets on how quickly someone will have to tell me I'm on mute. Today's topic, building community on social media, and we have some spectacular guests to share their work with you all. First up is Dr. Josie Alquist our first repeat higher voltage guest. Josie is a higher ed digital leadership expert and community building icon, known particularly for her Facebook groups uniting higher educational professionals. Joining her is the hashtag marketing Twitter queen herself, Christina Garnett. Not only does Christina encourage and shape one of the best communities on Twitter, she is currently also building community on HubSpot. And to complete our panel, we have Jamila Walker of Old Dominion University and Taquanda Johnson of Eastern Michigan University, here to talk about their work to establish hashtag BHESM, Black Higher Education Social Media on Twitter. And that is enough of me talking. Let's start with our communities on Twitter. Uh, Jamila and Taquanda, can you each give us a little bit about yourselves and why you decided to cultivate BHESM? Um, sure. I, I guess I'll go first. <laughs> um, so during the time of uh, the shootings and, you know, which is still continuing, we, I was looking for um, just a community where we can kind of talk and discuss um, things that not only were going on in our community, but just overall in our careers. And I was, had thought about this even before things kind of went left. Um, and I had sent a Facebook message to Zaquanda and I was like, um, hey, what do you think of this idea of having this community for Blacks in higher ed because we are kind of like our own community also. And there's not a lot of us, but we do lean on each other. And she said, you know, I just literally tweeted this, that I wanted to start this group. So I didn't even see that she had tweeted this at all. It was just kind of. Because we stay up on each other's Twitter for you. I know. And I, <laughs> that day I just was not on Twitter and I'm like, it just everything just aligned perfectly. And I was like, well, then let's do it. So we started the group on Facebook and it's thriving. You know, we're getting more members and can't wait to see kind of what this community does. So we also make sure that when we are tweeting or anything, we do use that hashtag. Um, and a lot of the members that are currently coming into our groups is because they saw the hashtag on Twitter. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting there, but the content could take over also. 
Yeah, like uh, Jamila said, um, her and I have been uh, friends for uh, quite a while now, and we check in with each other, you know, on a regular. And um, in dealing with the climate of today's society, um, and you know what we've been dealing with, especially in light, as Jamila mentioned, as far as the you know murder of George Floyd and racial injustice, and to be completely transparent, you know, and honest, being a minority within um, the field of communications, period, um, there's a need for community. Um, and not to say that the higher ed com groups and hashtags and such, you know, aren't um, great because they are and they serve a magnificent purpose and we're honored to be, you know, a part of this space. Um, but we were finding out, like she mentioned, like there wasn't a place for us, right? And that's one of the things that, um, because what we struggle with and what we what we struggle with is not what our counterparts struggle with. Um, and a lot of times we don't feel safe um, in spaces in order to, um, properly say like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And that's kind of where um, where we were dealing with that. Like we had to craft messaging that we honestly had to put on our, as I say, put on the PR hat and, you know, let Taquanda be off on the side because I need to think and talk as, you know, my institution, but I can't scream because I'm sitting here crying because I'm going through right now, you know, emotionally and things like that. So um, we were able to, to have candid conversations, not just using the hashtag, but also having our safe space on, you know, Facebook where people can say like, hey, I don't had a rough day and this is what's going on. And I don't think my leadership understands or whatever the case may be, or how would you handle this type of situation? Right. Not saying that we can't, you know, share that within other higher ed groups, but it just hit a little differently as, as mm-hmm. we said, like it just hits differently when you can have a safe space with people who are dealing with the same exact thing you are dealing with. Right. And especially when seeing comments and racial slurs, that's something that I don't think people oftentimes realize that even though we do social media, we're also humans. We're also dealing with the same emotions, especially as a Black woman, African-American. And, you know, in being in this profession, it, it was hard during that time, especially um, with the George Floyd, that just kind of put the nail in the coffin, literally. And um just even dealing with that. So just even having that space to kind of like talk about our feelings and emotions where we may not feel comfortable talking to about that with our counterparts, at least we have each other to, you know, talk about that. And when it came to the hashtag, another thing I want to bring up too, is that like Jamila mentioned is that there's individuals who um, honestly didn't know that the space existed and the hashtag allows for, you know, them to be able to say like, oh man, this is cool because now there's a space, you know, specifically for us. Um, And it brings light um, because sometimes, you know, we're in the shadow, you know, we're, we're looked at as like, oh, this is the profession, you know, and this is what we, you know, of course, this is what we do as far as higher ed com, but realizing that there's, other folks that look like me, as as Jamila knows, I says being the chick behind all the accounts, you know, like there's somebody that looks like me that's behind these accounts, you know, dealing with that, dealing with other issues that we deal with as far as, you know, communications and higher ed is concerned. So um, that's 
how the hashtag started and that's how we've been moving since. And honestly, it's been a blessing. You're muted. (laughs) Who had approximately eight to 10 minutes for the bet? (laughs) Christina, your call for marketers on Twitter with fewer than 1000 followers to respond to you and then you would retweet them to your larger audience um, really reverberated throughout the community. It's actually been months, I think, at this point, Mm -hmm. And I still see that coming through daily. You get people responding to that thread um, that you retweet. Clearly, community building is an integral part of you, the you yourself, you. Um, Please introduce yourself to our listeners and um, share with them what prompted you to consciously work at amplifying fellow marketers on Twitter. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, My name is Christina Garnett. I live on Twitter rent-free. Basically, if you follow me, you know that's true. I don't sleep. I just tweet. Um, but (laughs) I currently work as a senior marketing manager for HubSpot. Um, my specific niche is offline community and advocacy. So I do a lot with community building and social listening. Audience intelligence is incredibly important to me. And because of everything that happened last year, the structure of how we connect, the structure of how we communicate, the intimacy and the lack of intimacy that happened during that year really kind of brought social listening and community building into the forefront. It's existed. There's, there's, there's people who've been leading this space far longer than I have, but I left an agency last year and was completely burned out. And at that agency, what I loved most apart from my clients was going into our chat and sharing, like, you need to read this new feature. You need to see this blog article. You need to talk about this person. You need to know who this person is. And so when I left, that was such a big void in my life. And so I took all that energy and put it towards Twitter instead, because I firmly believe that social media can be used for good and it, and it democratizes information. And so we've all been in a situation where we've been to a conference and we've seen the same person stand up on the stage. You know, they're getting like 10 to $30,000 a spot. They're going to try to pitch a book to you and you're not, you're going to learn nothing like nothing versus there are accounts on Twitter that have like 300 followers and are some of the most brilliant people I've ever seen. And the only thing they're lacking is someone to give them a microphone. And so over the course of that, I started really kind of, I'm, I'm not the type of person to be like, that person's bad. You shouldn't listen to them. I would much rather amplify the good I see instead. And so I'm not going to amplify the bad. I'm going to purposefully make sure that the people who are doing good work get that microphone. And they don't have to work at a Fortune 500 company to be amazing at what they do. They don't have to work for the Nikes and the Googles of the world to create impact. They don't have to be verified to create impact. And so I slowly started amplifying others, really kind of sharing that messaging. And by that time, my amplification curated my own feed. So now these people who had smaller accounts that I've been amplifying, now they're in my feed. And so my feed last year, there was so much negativity. There was so much violence. There was so much hatefulness. But over the course of those months, I had turned my feed into my friends. So when I opened my Twitter that morning, it was just like the most beautiful marketing people who just, who didn't want to tell me like how bad something was. They, they collectively were making our industry better tweet by tweet, character by character. And so I opened a social media channel seeing friends, which as we all know, if you live on social, that's very rare. It's a very toxic place. 
And so I tweeted that not expecting it to go viral, not expecting it to have the impact it had. What I expected was, I really want to share this. If more people had that same kind of experience when they opened an app for a social media channel, the user experience would be completely transformed. So I created that that tweet, wrote with it being under a thousand because most social media managers, some of the most brilliant people I've ever met have incredible imposter syndrome. And if they don't have the right number beside their name, they feel invalidated. They don't feel worthy. And so those people, they needed an invitation. It had nothing to do with their worth, but they needed to be reminded that number means nothing. And so I went through, I kind of broke Twitter twice. They kicked me off because I guess I had bought energy. They're like, you're t- retweeting too much. You're liking too much. <laughs> like they kicked me off. So I'm like DMing people be like, no, 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 I'm alive. Like, just let them know. Like, I'm still here. I just can't do anything. Um, and so it turned in this, into this thing where marketing Twitter existed before that. Some of these connections existed before that. And if you look at the responses, a lot of it was I was lurking or I didn't feel worthy or I do this, does that count? Does that mean I get to be a part of this? And so they were there, they knew this community existed, but sometimes you just need that personal touch of, we want you here. We want you to be a part of this. You're valued no matter how many followers you have. And so it kind of created created this new groundswell. And the thing that I really liked about that tweet was how people behaved with it. Because then it turned into because of how it made them feel, they reciprocated that for others. So some of the first people who responded that to that tweet, those are some of the most vocal people welcoming others because they knew what that meant to them. They're like, this was my door. I want to open this door for others. And so it's become a really, a really powerful thing. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. I like to say I'm the godmother <laughs> because I will, I will protect it at all costs. <laughs> like I'll get, I'll get very protective. Thank you. Josie, you are also a leading voice on Twitter, but I'd actually like to focus on your work um, with Facebook groups uh, and the amazing sharing communities you've built there. So tell us about you first, and then more about the journey um, you've had building some of the best professional development communities on Facebook. Well, first, I just have to uh, also spread some magic pixie dust to my panelists who just are so darn inspiring. And again, that we're a group of women pointing the microphone to those that also need lifted up and amplified. I believe strongly it's work like this, that there is soulfulness part of social because we follow the spirit. Like all these examples are coming from, we see a need and we quickly move to amplify others. You could call that being a lighthouse Um, because some of these can't be built in committee work. Um, And so again, I just want to give a shout out to that. So my name is Josie Alquist. I'm based in Los Angeles and um, I started in student affairs. I absolutely love college. Um, And quickly though, in marketing, I found, and still today, unfortunately, we are some of the, um, we get in trouble often for promoting too much, maybe using lots of flyers and not seeing those possibilities to use a platform like Twitter or Instagram for community building. And when I started to get my doctorate, that's where my research took off around 2015 to start to amplify the work of colleges, presidents, and students that were doing work like that. So today I'm a consultant and speaker and I birthed a, ba- a book 
a baby, a book baby. I don't know what it is, but it's out there in the world. It's on the bookshelf out there and I won't sell it to you. I promise, but I'm just so glad it is out there in the world. And it's talking about how leaders need to position themselves, not just to put out their platforms and speak all their truths, but we really do need to bring others and build communities into the fold. I grew up in a really, really small town, like real, real small. Anyone on my block, like if I needed anything, they would still be there for me in a heartbeat. And actually, I just stumbled into my hometown's Facebook group, which small town Facebook groups are fascinating. Like someone posted, hey, my Amazon package didn't come. Did anyone receive it? And it got replied to immediately like, yes, Jessica, I have your package. Come on over and let's have coffee. So I I have community and knowing your neighbor kind of in my DNA. At the same time as I've always believed the internet, we don't give it enough credit. Yes, there is some dark parts and frustrations and ethics we need to tackle. But Twitter got me through my darkest days in my doc, in my doc program with different Twitter communities and fr- like people that I met that are now some of my closest and dearest friends. So when it comes to Facebook groups, which again, we know are not perfect. And I put on my cap of educator. My mom's a kindergarten teacher, which also explains a lot about me, is I want to almost infuse curriculum into the ways that we create some of these digital communities, not all of them. So there is purpose because there's a lot of them. You know, there's some Facebook groups or Slack channels where it's very busy. It's a lot of problem solving, maybe some frustrations, some celebrations. And so the one community I think Heather's talking about is the higher education. Digital Community Builders Facebook group, which I started just a week when we went into uh, lockdown, at least here in Los Angeles. And eventually I brought on a crew to help me and we produce panels um, every other week or so on timely topics, especially for um, community builders in higher ed, whether if that's about Reddit or um, uh you know, how to bring student leaders into the fold as social media managers, and again, just having a space. So I kind of remix the idea of this of strategy into curriculum when you think about professional development. Um, and again, I don't think your community needs to be everything for everyone. If you were to go to that space, it's actually not as active and interactive versus, let's say, higher ed social, which is almost too busy for me sometimes. And I get out of there super quick because I'm like, I don't know where to start. Um, So thinking even about the emotion, the tone, and the timing of your communities um, is also another strategy for you to think about. Uh, My business coach, because I am a business, I have claimed this for myself because I am am independent. She says I need to stop making digital communities, which at first really hurt, but it just comes like I see something and I want to bring people together around it. My latest is a Peloton Facebook group for higher ed writers. We accept non-people in higher ed too. Uh, It's honestly my favorite Facebook group now because I I have my century ride coming up. If anybody wants to ride tomorrow at 4.30. (laughs) um, And that's what these groups are for. Just all kinds of different intersections to bring us together in different ways. So, You Peloton people, y'all are a cult. (laughs) We're just excited. (laughs) So... One of the things that you just mentioned, Josie, was that 
you know, Twitter got you kind of through the darkest days of going through your, your doctoral work. Um, and the title of this panel connects community building to finding inspiration and avoiding burnout, which is something I think all of us need in general, but particularly over the past year or so, um, as we've, we've faced insurmountable or maybe surmountable, but challenges that have a whole bunch of cliched terms associated with them that we're going to avoid saying at the moment. So do you all have um, either personal examples or anonymous accounting of somebody else's um, experience that you're aware of, of how your communities fostered uh, one or the other that you can share? I can speak to one. Um, when I when I left my agency, I wrote a piece about social media managers surviving 2020. And for me, it poured out of me because, and I think anyone that's written, the more intimate something is, the more powerful and painful it is. You don't write it, your finger, like it falls out of you. And so I submitted it just thinking it was going to be, I'm just going to put this out in the universe. No one's probably going to read it, but it was healing for me. It was very, it was a very selfish act. I needed to take this tumor out of me, put it somewhere else. So it was no longer mine. And the social media community has, especially on Twitter, has been incredibly powerful over the past year. Yes, we've all been there, but just like you were saying earlier, and, and it's helping you survive, there's been this commiseration that's happened and this very open dialogue about just the suck, just having to be tied, like being tied into something that you are being paid to, like, Yes, it's a nine to five, but anyone that works in social knows that it isn't and knows that you have to be on alert and knows that, especially last year, we had like five or six breaking news items that would have broken in like the span of a month, any other year. And so the people who are at the helm are constantly being stabbed with bad news. They're constantly being hit and they are in a position where they can't turn off. Whereas there's like a national unplug day the people who need to unplug most don't have that luxury. And when you try to explain that to others, not all of the responses, but the majority of the responses was, well, if you hate your job so much, dot, 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 dot. Not thinking we are literally here because we love this. We are literally here because we're passionate about this because it would be so much easier to walk away. It would be so easy to walk away, but we stay and we do the work and we love it. And there's bad things. And I think that there was such this loneliness last year where people felt this way. And in the midst of like, like what Jamila was talking about and what um, DeQuinda was talking about, there were some amazing like times for the community to come together, but there were also some incredibly dark times. And so when you are at your desk crying and suffering, you think, well, like, I'm not a victim of one of those crimes and I didn't die of COVID. So you almost feel like your pain isn't, isn't like legitimate because it's not that bad. And I think that over the past year, it took all of us to come together to be like, there's so much pain happening. And it's one of the first things you can do is acknowledge it and, and no, you're not in, you're not one of those victims and, and no, you, you, you didn't, you didn't have someone maybe directly who passed away from COVID but your pain is, is still very much real. And you are not alone in that feeling. Cause I feel like there was some, I feel like that was a part of it. Whereas you could, if you were in an office and you were having a bad day, someone could walk by you and know immediately by the look on your face that something's wrong. 
How do you do that when you just talk through email? How do you do that when you're just in a Slack channel? You can't. And, and even in Zoom, you can always hide your face and just say like, oh, I'm just tired. I haven't done my hair yet. And meanwhile, you're on mute crying. And so those conversations, there was so much vulnerability last year and having those, conver- like having those really uncomfortable conversations. Like, I love my job, but I can't stop crying. Or I love my job, but I don't sleep at night. And I, I'm checking Google alerts at like two o'clock in the morning, hoping that someone, someone, someone new didn't get shot. And that there wasn't a new case in my area or that what's going to happen to my kids, what's going to happen to their schools. And so a lot of like that Instagram thing of like, we're all perfect. We're all happy. We're all everything. It kind of faded last year where we just had to be forced to be like, there's so much suck. We have to talk about it. We have to be very honest. And for me, that was just very powerful because as soon as someone else opens up, it makes it so much easier for you to open up. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Any of the other panelists have something to add? I think on that vulnerability piece, as community builders, it's that willingness to even give a little of that insight into you that, you know, sets the table or or the picnic basket or whatever that is. So then others might not speak up right away, but then they feel like there's a resource here. There's, there's a space because you'll quickly find like Christina shared a lot of others saying, Oh, me too. Or I feel validated as a researcher. I'm always also going into social spaces with my radars up of what patterns are we seeing? This industry is actually still quite new. And unfortunately, many positions that these fall under are further down into access and power um, and they need advocates. So that could be another role within building community, especially at a macro level um, that I've seen, especially this past year in higher ed, that not only do we need a lot more research in order to advocate for these types of roles, for resources, but the wellness piece is, is critical. I don't think... If you don't say, many of your most senior leaders would have no idea um, the amount of weight that that comes into even your DMs, right? Until you take a screenshot of it and actually share it. Sometimes it needs to be that um, that clear. And so, being part of some of these communities might give you some of those tools to um, know how to advocate for yourself, but also have others around you to move along the way. Yeah, I find that in um, in all sorts of cases, the first thing I do is run to Twitter. <laughs> Because there is that community there that has been curated and whether it's good or bad, I know that I have those people there that we can go and we can talk and and I personally find um, processing difficult situations via text via letters and not necessarily video or audio um, to be very useful for myself. Uh, and so there, there's that comfort level of both the, the people and the way you're you're ingesting, you know, the, the crazy media all around us right now um, that I find particularly comforting in community building. Yeah, I just want to like piggyback off what, um, you know, Josie was saying, like, having um that's like really key about figuring out kind of how to advocate for yourself because it's unfortunate that um you know our uh senior level you know c-suite folks or whatever don't they don't know right like they if you it's kind of like you don't if you don't tell them they won't know you know exactly kind of the weight or 
even um, the decision makings that unfortunately, you know, they make and how that trickles down to you. And it's just like, oh, well, um, like I'll put it out there. I had a situation where a decision was made and um, I was like, wow, I really wish that they would have talked to me about that, you know, before it was made, because now I have to have the repercussions of, you know, a decision that was made or a statement that was given or something like that. And the tribe that we develop on social as far as community is concerned is huge. Like, I love the fact, you know, Heather mentioned it, like you neither you need to text it out, you know, versus call. And there's been times where I have legit sent Jamila and sent, you know, um, Nikki over at UFM, like a text in a minute to say, help. And then immediately they both pick up the phone, like, all right, what's going on? You know, and it's because of having that tribe, you know, like Josie mentioned, like just being able to research and know like, okay, how do I handle this? How do I advocate for myself? You know, or how do I um, deal with it now that it's done? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so it's, I just wanted to share about that. Like that, that's a real thing. Like it just really is. I think it's so important to advocate for yourself and just thinking, right? Like with everything that you guys have been saying, like um, usually at the end of the year, we have to do like an evaluation, you know, your goals. And I never once put in my goals, it's always work related. I think it's so important to have one of those goals to be your mental health or, you know, I'm going to take some time to do this. And I never put that down. It's always mostly like, oh, I want to reach these many followers or this, but it's never anything personally for myself. And I think that's just something to think about in in this role in social media is to think about your mental health as well. And even though we have this digital community, it's also important to speak up to your your higher ups or, or your supervisors and kind of let them know um, what's going on because it does take a lot of your energy and sometimes you do feel overwhelmed and luckily my supervisor used to have my role so she understands exactly what's going on and that's important but um even during the times of the George Ford and we had to you know send a message out I had to say transparently I was like yeah I can't post to social today I can't do it I'm mentally not there can't do it and they understood that and I always say like a closed mouth don't get fed if you just have to say, you know, what exactly is going on and it's okay to ask for help. It doesn't mean that you're less than, it's just, you can't handle it today. Um, and even while you're thinking of that, um, it's also kind of using your role to also be a comfort to others. And that's something I was thinking of um, during the time of Black Lives Matters and all that stuff, like how can we be a comfort to our community, how can I use my role? Because I'm hurting, I know they're hurting too. So how can we bring that together? So just thinking of those along those lines as well. But yeah, I also, you know, advocate for yourself. Mental health is important. Um, and, you know, let be transparent and let those know that this is how you're feeling. 
There's something to be said when we we reach out to our communities that there's there's that shorthand there for us because we're all doing, if not similar, very related jobs. Um, you don't have to explain the back. Well, this is a problem because, and then go into the whole you know explanation of why. Um, our communities know when you say. Uh, so I got a flyer, <laughs> like that's enough, enough said uh, for us right now. Uh, but so we have a question. We have a few questions that are coming in. And this seems for a good place for one from Gail, um, because really what she's talking about here is how supervisors kind of become part of that community or become support for community. So she asks, how can those of us who manage social professionals but are not on Twitter or Facebook in the wee hours with the trolls and the crazy uh, better support our staff? I think supervisors need to be just as attuned to the tone and the tenor of platforms. So it's not always the social media manager coming, uh, them already kind of knowing or, or having the fourth bot to know that a post might go a little south and they might need more support. So it isn't always that person having to do the speaking up, like thinking uh, around those. And that's just being tapped into the platforms, right? Paying it, doing your own homework um, to pay attention to where things are going. And then sometimes also maybe being the one to ask the question um, of how, how are you doing? Do you need some time? But then to really mean it, like, don't say, yeah, totally like log off at whatever time. And then you've got an email or a DM to them. You really have to practice. And I mean, I know for me, like, sometimes I just send things or post things without thinking, but those messaging are role models that can go and, and honestly, like be harmful, especially to social media managers who do care and already, I don't want to call it addiction, but we are put into patterns of behavior where we have to stay logged on. And it's already very difficult for us to not look. Um, it's almost like that one Netflix show, that bird show, like don't look at the demons or whatever. <laughs> Not not that far. But um, anyway, do your homework, pay attention and really mean it when you say um, that you, you're going to give them time. Christina, did you have something to add? You had your raised hand up. Yes, but I'll, I'll make it brief because I know Taquinda wanted to answer this too. Um, the Suez Canal meme that went around, if you didn't see this, and there's like the little the little like little engine that could trying to get it out. That little backhoe is all the social media managers and the Suez Canal blockage is all the problems that have been created in meetings that those social media managers were never invited to. Your social media manager is the Dr. Strange of your Avengers team. They're going to know instinctively and in their gut what's going to perform well and not. And they're going to instinctively be able to tell you, like, like honestly, if you're going to pitch them something to post, respond with one question. What is the worst possible scenario if you post this? Because they'll tell you and they'll be right. And so they know those channels back and forth. They know the people who are going to yell at them the first. They know which one's going to love it the most. They know who's going to, they live in those ecosystems. And that's the thing, like these social media channels are filled with humans. These are ecosystems. So you need to know the channels, but you need to trust those people who are going to be fixing that problem. So if you have any doubts, invite them to those meetings where those conversations or decisions are being made because they will be the first person to be like, this is a great idea in theory, but when I press this button, all hell's going to break loose. And they'll be right. Like treat them like Dr. Strange. They know and that's, that's it. 
Listen, I if you're if you're watching this and I know some people are listening, I really wish that you could have saw my gestures when Christina was going in because that right there is a huge way that um, you guys can help us. <laughs> you know, by all means, even if you feel like, hey, this isn't, um, I don't think this is social related. You know, and I think that's another question that goes in the minds of um, those who don't do social. You think like, oh, well, you know, it isn't social related. And whether you realize it or not, a lot of things are social related. And I would rather sit in the meeting versus not be invited to the table in the first place. So invite us to the table, please. And thank you. We, we would love we would love to be brought. Um you know, another uh, thing is, is um, again, uh, like Christina said, you know, trust us to do our, you know, our job. Like I always, and Jamila knows this, I'm really big. I believe that people are called to operate in the area that they're called to operate in. I'm not a doctor because I'm not called to be a doctor. You know, I'm, I'm not a therapist. You can't, I mean, if you want to come sit in my, you know, my couch, you can. I'm I'm a, I'll let you vent, but I can't, you know, tell you X, Y, and Z, this is what you're supposed to do. But this right here, this thing called public relations and social media and calm is my world. You know, I'm, I'm the doctor in this world. So allow for us to be able to freely share and be able to freely say like, hey, like Christina mentioned, like, I think this, you know, this does look good. However, have we thought about X, Y, and Z or what may happen or, you know, even not so much what may happen, but possibly um, areas that may have slipped through the cracks, right? Like we should do A before C, but you're going to start at C, but you forgot about A and B, but let me bring A and B to the conversation. So um I think that that would help us out, you know, tremendously um, because then we won't have to uh, fix it afterwards. So, <laughs> sorry. This is so true. It's so true. I think it's just to piggyback what everyone was saying. It, bring social media managers or social media specialists when it's happening because there's so many times where the meeting has happened and then when things hit the fan, it's like, oh, can you post this to social fast? Or can you monitor this, right? What am I monitoring? I have no idea what's going on. So just bringing them to the table first is so important. And then even asking, like Josie said, how can we help you? And I even hate this word, but I just, I'm just gonna use it already. Treat them as the experts that they are and even if it's even like a training or a workshop for your team, having that social media person kind of explain and show what the day-to-day -day or what they are doing so you get a better understanding of what's going on. Uh, because prime example, um, our VP, real quick backstory, uh, we had cut our wrestling team and that was just hell that was just terrible. And I had no idea that was happening. So that was just another instance where I was not brought to the table. And next thing I know, social media is just going haywire about it. Um, and then that community um, does not play. Sorry. No, they, that community they come does not play. Because yes. that was one of the first things that I had to deal with at Eastern coming into the position 
they cut our wrestling too. Oh yeah. They, they come for your gut and they don't care who you are. And so for anyone, school, university that's about to have your wrestling team cut, be prepared because they come in droves. Um, and two months later, we'll help. <laughs> oh, and they're still coming. We cut that a year ago and they're still every other time. Like I'm like, happy Friday. And they're like, well, what about wrestling? So, you know, you just never know. But uh, our my VP, uh, she had to post something on social and it was about wrestling and you know they came and she was like oh my gosh I didn't know that this was going to you know get this kind of conversation I'm like well welcome to my world because if you discussed this I would say mm, that might not have been the best move or let's kind of revamp this so I just think making sure that the social media person that's on your team you know have them as the leader make them feel like they are the leader and if you have any questions just ask and be transparent and um, you know, let them do a training or a workshop so you can see like exactly what goes on in our day to day. And also be open. And the last thing, sorry, Heather, like be open if we tell or we say to you, um, I may not know, but let me get right back to you. Because I think that that's like really key um, because of the simple fact that some some managers do come to us or, you know, uh, supervisors do come to us and expect an answer right then and there. But just like it takes you a while to answer a question, like it, it takes us a while too. So allow for us um, to to nicely do our due diligence in that area in order to ensure that you have everything that you need on your end too. So I just want to change focus a little bit um, to, to talk about some of our professionals who are, are really new <laughs> to, to this area. I mean, we all have enough experience here that, that you know, we're all creating communities and participating in communities. Um, but we do have a question. Joe Master asks, um, betting there are some folks joining us today who are new to higher ed and their roles. Um, what advice do the panelists have for someone trying to network and build community during these mostly remote times? Yeah, so I, I'll kick it off like um, one, lean in, um, lean all the way in. We have all been there. We have all been there. So uh, whatever leaning in looks like for you, that might be, you know, following a hashtag that may be, you know, joining a Facebook group. Like, don't just join the group, join the group and talk to folks like um, you see the hashtag tap into the conversation that that's been going on, even if the conversation ended yesterday and it's still there, like still tap in, follow, introduce yourself you know, just lean in as much as possible and realize like you are not alone, like Michael Jackson would say. <laughs> uh, well, I would say welcome to the uh, to the club, to higher ed. Um, and also, um, again, some of these spaces can be intimidating, whether it's Twitter or a Facebook group. So um, some like the Peloton example, I swear again, I'm not hashtag ad. That's something I wanted and I saw a need. So I just did it. And even if it was going to be a group of five of us, that was going to be great. So you can, you don't have to wait for a community to start. Um, some of my favorites, not necessarily that have been my own, but are this really small. So maybe that's going to be great for you is you've just happened to see four other people that are brand new or different roles that you'd be interested. Like, Hey, do you want to create a group me? And now 
how you have your people for when it's you can celebrate or when things are hitting the fan. Um, so sometimes you have to do a little bit of like the ask out there. Um, but like um, was also shared, sometimes you do just have to say hello. And that's what Christina's example was so great. It was such a simple way. If you have less than a thousand, say hello. That can that can, again, open up a lot of sparked opportunities. I also, as far as associations and other communities out there, I do think there needs to be a lot more mentorship programs. Some of these things do need to be formalized to create a stronger pipeline for those that, what are we looking at beyond social media or furthering the industry? And so that's my that's my little pitch then beyond just kind of these, these open spaces, there is some program opportunities, I think, out there for, for mentorship. I agree. I think networking, um, whether that's using the hashtag or finding the Facebook groups, but even start one on your own campus. Maybe there are other social media uh, administrators on your campus and you guys can create um, like I have on my campus is a lunch and learn. And we bring all the social media administrators on our campus well, now virtually, and we just kind of have a discussion. We have guest speakers. Um, so it's just kind of having that community um, and it helps a lot because there are some that are just brand new to social media. And then there's those who are veterans in social media and um, can kind of just bounce ideas off each other. So even starting a space right where you are uh, could help as well. I tend to um, compare community to gardening quite a lot. Um, I find that it comes down to mindset. So one of the first piece of advice I would give is give more than you take. It's very clear when it's a pitch versus a, a request to belong somewhere. It has a very different emotional response. And so think about just like a garden, where is it going to live? Is it going to be in a Slack channel? Is it going to be in a Facebook group? Is it going to be in person? And then make sure that that soil or that home has what it needs. What kind of nutrients does that specific community need in order for it to thrive? Does it need opportunities to talk to each other? Does it need opportunities for education or mentorship? Does it need opportunities for like field trips or whatever? But what are the needs of that specific community? And then constantly nurture it. As community is blown up as this topic, in like one to two years, especially like six months after the world opens up, there's going to be a very interesting conversation in community because the growth hackers in the community sector are going to be quiet finally. And they're going to move on to the next like hot topic because they've realized that it didn't move as fast as they wanted. So if you're trying to create community from like a collector standpoint of like, I want a thousand members and I want 2000 members and 3000 members, it's never going to happen fast enough. And you're going to get lost thinking about that core number than you are these individual relationships and community is built off of these one-to-one. -one. And as you're building it from the very beginning, that's what you need to be focusing on is this one-to-one -one relationship. What are their needs? Why are they here? Why would they stay and then just continually watering those flowers. And from like a comms perspective, that's a very that's a very interesting shift because comms, and tell me if I'm wrong, they'll listen to you when there's like a fire. They'll listen to you when they're battering down the door, but they don't care if you're like, look at all these people who love us. Can we do something special for them? They don't respond to those emails as quickly. So the same water 
that you're going to use to put out those fires is the same water that you can use to water those flowers, that same attention that you could take these fans and turn them into super fans. And now when you have trolls on your Facebook and your Twitter account, you're going to have those super fans that come for them. You don't have, you can be as nice as you want. You have fans who will cut them for you. You don't have to say a word. You don't even have to tell them to do it because now they've, they've been, they've had, they've been offended because you've come after their school. You've come after their, their people. You've come after their, their, their state or their program or whatever, but it's, it all comes down to gardening. And I do want to emphasize the point that was brought up. um, I think across the board here for the young professionals out there, don't be afraid to reach out. Uh, Marcom people in general, I have found, are very collegial. They're always happy to help, even when technically you would consider them your competitor um, at a at a school across town. Don't be afraid. I think most of us. Um, maybe aren't so keen on managing the day-to-day stuff, but we love coaching. Uh, so, so don't be afraid to raise your hand um, and say, could you talk this through with me? Um, because I've never met anybody in Marcom, um, especially in Hired and especially in CupRap, who's not willing to say, absolutely. Uh, and then the one other thing I would say too uh, for young professionals is look at community across platforms Facebook versus LinkedIn versus Twitter are very different in their feel and what they're good at for um, community. So, so give yourself some, some broadband there um, to build because you'll find they, they come in handy in very different circumstances. Um, that's it. <laughs> okay, so we have a question from Peter Holleran. Any thoughts by any of the panelists about how we can do a better job of encouraging the development of social communities among prospective students? It seems like an underdeveloped but high potential opportunity for colleges and universities trying to build in prospective students' conviction to come together to their schools. Any brainstorming on this? So, um, I... Go ahead. (laughs) I'll be completely honest. It's great, you know, that we want to do that, but I would rather folks do it on their own versus um, asking one of us or asking your admissions team, you know, or someone else to to do that. Um, one, it's a huge responsibility to for the upkeep of that particular community. And that's one of the things like um, the past, what, over three years that I've been at the university, um, been at Eastern, is that we, um, we've had consistent conversations about that and about providing these outlets for, um, for prospective students, as well as those who have been admitted and parent groups and, and all of that. And, you know, although it's a great, you know, idea, you have to honestly look at the manpower that it takes for you to manage those groups. And then also what the content looks like that you're going to post that, right? So even after orientation is done in um, August and they don't moved in or their commuter students or whatever the case may be, like, what is your content going to look like from fall to the end of December? And then what's the content going to look like after that? You know, of course there's, there's, oh yeah, EMU class of such and such, such and such groups. Like I would, I'm an advocate for them creating their own space, 
you know, and, and managing that space versus putting it on your comm department and your social teams in order to do that. Um, now, if you have a smaller institution and um, it's a little bit different, you know, for them, then by all means, like if that's what floats your boat and it works for you guys, then by all means go for it. But I've literally had conversations with our admissions team um, and, you know, even our campus life department and we had a family life department. And then once at one time there were parent groups that were a part of that. And then the university decided to, to pull that particular, you know, department. Right. So the group just sat there and nobody's managing it. So then you get into that type of um, deal as well. So you have to realize, like, one, do you have the manpower to to actually keep the content flowing the way that you want it in order for it to be great? And then to, you know, advocate for um, for individuals to create their own. And believe it or not, there are individuals out there who are creating their own groups. Like I have seen them and I've seen them pop up. So if you want to do anything, like tap into those groups and just, you know, check in every once in a while and share information in those every once in a while, even if it's just a student staff member or something like that. But um, don't put on yourself more than what you can bear when it comes to to community, building community. Completely agree. Sorry, I hope that didn't like totally back down your idea. I think it's great. However, you got to take a scope of everything. I agree, especially if you're a team of one like myself. Hello, teams of ones. Don't do it to yourself because even if you're social media for the entire university, you have all these buckets that you need to hit. And so for me, it's like it's military. It's alumni. It's, it's everything. So you don't want to take on too much where you're like overwhelmed. So if you have admissions, like our admissions has their own social media, happy to share, happy to share what they post, happy to collaborate, but I'm not going to take on that whole project. But if it's, if you're looking to, I guess, promote more content for prospective students, then I suggest maybe working with students on campus and creating this a student ambassador program. So like we have one called the Digital Monarchs and they help a lot with admissions and different other um, colleges and departments to kind of showcase life at ODU um, and kind of answer questions as well. But um, that would be my idea of kind of creating this community or group is maybe work with admissions, um, but not necessarily take on this this huge uh, project yourself if you don't have the manpower to do so. Completely agree. I would also add that by having it on its on one of the own channels, you are accepting a higher level of viab- of liability. So, how many times has there been a student who's been kicked out because they've said something? infamatory or racist, and then the the college has to respond. It's very different if you had like an own channel that that lived on and you didn't catch it in time. And by the time it goes viral, it was on the own channel. So now the level of liability is significantly higher. I think from this perspective, a better opportunity would be to, in the admissions packet, I'm sure there do, a lot of colleges are already doing this, but provide opportunities for UGC and give them opportunities of what you would do. So what you're wanting from this, from content, is you want to use your students as influencers, then I would treat them the exact same way I would hire an influencer. So I would give them examples 
hey, this is the hashtag we would love you to use. These are the kind of images that we would like to share. If you want to be featured, this is what that would kind of look like. But if you want to use them for content, then I would make it very clear what's allowed and what's not allowed. And then there's going to be those people who want to create their own community. You got to think about too, who's your audience? You have these 18, 19 year olds who are finally leaving their home. The last thing they want is to like, oh goodness, I get to be a part of this community that's created by another adult. No, they they want nothing to do with that. They want to do their own thing, their own way. And you don't want to be that college that creates be like, here's our TikTok channel and here's all the community for it. Cause then it just be like, what are you doing? Like, why would you do that? You're better off empowering these students to be like, use this hashtag. You can do it on Instagram. You can create videos on TikTok. You can use it on Twitter. You can use it anywhere. And that way we can find your content and we can share it. And this is what that could look like. And then you could have opportunities for that. What happens if there's a really great content creator, then you get to do what Jamila was saying. Now you get to, now you get to hand pick and be like, this person is already doing great content. They would be a great ambassador. And maybe the ambassadorship is a part of work study. So now it begins to financially benefit them in a way. And then they can work with the comms team or they can work with the social team to be able to facilitate and also now that helps them. There's so many influencers who, who might be at your college right now for marketing. Why can't they start that be a part of like a work study program? So now they get to help the comms team. They get to be able to take pictures and be able to create UGC for your college. They get to be able to spread the word for what like a hashtag campaign would look like for a specific UGC. They encourage others to do it. And you get content, you get community, but you don't have the liability. You're able to curate what's shown and what's not shown. And like they both said before, you're also not drowning your staff with just one more thing that they have to monitor and babysit. And honestly, it would be babysitting. When it goes back to the why, just creating a Facebook group is not a digital community. Just having a hashtag isn't one either. Um, And so, you know, do we just keep creating Facebook groups for the next incoming class because that's what we do? Well, what's the long, what's the longevity of that? What do we actually want to happen? Do we want every single freshman in this group or do we want to make an impact and influence and change lives? Right. Like, so starting with that first, rather than jumping to the platform and like Christina said, using students as those influencers in those communities that we want to create is also really powerful. I want to jump in here too um, with my parent hat on because I am the parent of more than one uh, child in this demographic and they are already building their own communities. They're on Discord. They're not interested in being on the official school Facebook page. Uh, The Discord for my current senior is so organized that they have their own hierarchy of moderators that they've put together from the students and they are on that all the time. So that might be another way to get at it too, is to figure out where they are <laughs> um, of their own accord and, and see if there's possibilities there. Okay, so um, we just have basically a few minutes left. If there's any other questions, please put them in the Q&A so we can get to them. Um, but in the meantime, uh, let's take it back to the panelists. Um, I always tend to ask at the end of the podcast, which gets edited out through the magic of post-production, which we don't have here, um, if there's anything that we haven't talked about related to the topic at hand um, that you really 
something needs to be said. There was something in here that you either the flow of the conversation passed by um, or that you came into this discussion thinking, oh, if I make one point, I need to make this point. Um, do we have that at this point? Anybody have anything that hasn't been covered yet that, that you'd like to bring up? Taquanda? <laughs> Getting that, it's all okay. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm so full. Like, after, you know, everything that, you know, Christina says and Josie and as well as, you know, Jamila, like, I am full. I think we, we covered a whole lot, you know, in this time period. So We did, indeed. Um, all right, well, then I am going to actually take the last question that's in the Q&A here, which I skipped because... Um, I know the question asker, um, but also because it wasn't quite in the flow. Um, this tags back into what we were talking about with supporting um, our social media, our internal community, really, our social media staff. So Tom Dursel wants to know, how can we best manage up on behalf of the social media managers that we supervise? I don't know if there's like a best answer for this for me. I don't. I, I think it was touched on before that you just have to ask and like, how how is everything going? What do you need from me? How can I help you? And also again, putting that trust in your social person because you hired this person for a reason. There was a reason why, they're the reason why they're here. So let them do their job to do so. And kind of giving them that autonomy and trust and leadership to handle the social for your institution. Um, I'm just trying to think for me, I think my supervisor and my team overall does a great job in supporting me um, and, you know, asking me if I, is there, if there's anything I need and just kind of ready to put their hand in. But again, I think for me personally, it's, it's a different situation because my supervisor was in my shoes. So she kind of already knows what I'm dealing with and maybe the challenges of it. Um, but I think just really just honestly asking for me is the best thing. I, I like transparency and just honestly asking, um, is there anything that you need or resources or anything that will make your job easier put that in quotes for those who can't see and um and how how they can help i would add to advocate for them outside of that department because they're still sadly because it is young there's this misconception of youth associated with social media so basically, if you're young and just graduated from college and you have an iPhone, you can do social media. That is incorrect. Age doesn't dictate. Also, sometimes education doesn't dictate either because there's so many people who've gravitated towards social and have a nonlinear path, but that doesn't make them any less a professional. So if you're talking about your, your marketing team and you're talking about your comms team, you need to be putting your social media manager in those same conversations and being held to the same level because You'll see, and do this in your job descriptions too. So what you'll do is you'll, in, in one side, you'll say, here, we need a social media manager. Oh, we can just grab someone from college. And then be like, well, what do you need them to do? I need them to be able to create a content calendar. I need them to be able to do copywriting. I need them to be able to do graphic design. I hope they know how to do Adobe Suite. I need them to be able to do videos. I need, like, you want a magician, but you want to pay for a juggler. 
Like that doesn't make sense. So you need to, when you're hiring and when you're talking about your team, think about what you're asking them to do. Like make a punch list of every single thing you would want them to do and every single tool you would ask them to be able to be proficient or even like an expert on. And then think about that because a social media manager is a big hat hiding about 50 hats inside of it. And I don't think people who are not doing the job, like the people who are not doing the job don't realize it. They think you're just pressing buttons. I live on Twitter all day, or I just live on Facebook all day. And there's so much more of it. So to manage up, be very clear about the people who are doing that. And also I would love more conversations about hierarchies for social media managers. Where is there room for them to grow? And what does that look like? Because when you think about a social media person, maybe your first inclination is that this person just lives on social. But what I need you to see is that that person is highly adaptable. They're working in a high pressure situation at all times. They literally never know what's going to be in their inbox next, but they have to handle it all the same. They have to be able to read the room quicker than anybody else. They are the first person who can identify and prevent a crisis, but they're not treated that way. So you need to make sure you're taking care of them. You need to make sure that you're seeing them for the professionals they are. And you need to provide opportunities for them to grow and what that looks like. So if you're unsure of where, like, where would you put a social media manager next? Strategy. Because that's all they're doing. They're strategically thinking every single day. How does this look on Twitter versus Facebook versus LinkedIn versus Reddit versus YouTube? How do I make them better? What should I, like everything they're doing is strategic thinking. They're just not called that. So then what would a strategist be able to do for your community? What would a strategist be able to do for your campus? How would they be able to mold and move up in the marketing, in the marketing ladder of your university? That's what I would do. As we think about managing up and hierarchies in higher ed, um, having a lens of potentially where your cabinet is coming from, your supervisor having to maybe manage up in that space. We have presidents that were chemistry, faculty, lawyers, like backgrounds all over the place, maybe also student affairs. And so they also have different love languages that gets them and and feels like you're speaking their language because social probably is not their language. And because of the rate of change, they may already have some resistance just based upon not feeling like that's their domain or they know it. So that is why, again, I'm advocating for more research because for some that come more from faculty, having that kind of published data on the industry and the impact that social media managers are having on students and and retention and all those things is going to speak volumes on this industry. But it also just opens up the dialogue again to to be able to communicate again a little bit. And maybe that's using a lot of what's in the strategic plan, values, you know, mission, things like that. Um, But that has been a good angle, especially for me as I get into cabinets to know who's at the table and how to interpret things a little bit differently. All right. Well, we are just about out of time. And on every episode of Higher Voltage, we'd like to end with something completely different to uh, throw a little Monty Python in there. Loosely. Uh, So what I'd like to do is go around and I'm just going to call you out based on where the magic video box is on this recording session for me um, with uh, asking you who your favorite superhero is. I did this for you, Christina, because we've got a lot of crossover there. Um, Who your favorite superhero is and um, 
where can our audience find you on social media? So Christina, you're next to me. You go first. Absolutely. So even though my Twitter banner is Scarlet Witch and I love her dearly, my favorite superhero is Batgirl. Um, uses an analytical brain, is able to read the room, is able to be is able to be a collaborator at times. And I find that also as a fake redhead, I, I can't help myself but love Barbara Gordon. She's faced some adversity. And then even after she was shot and paralyzed, spoiler alert, she then became Oracle and was still able to make a positive impact and be able to make Gotham a better place. So I would 100% go with Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl slash Oracle all day long. Um, and I hope that DC will let me consult because they're doing their mess. Um, <laughs> and then you can find me on Twitter at that Christina G. Same on Instagram, but my Instagram is just nature. So don't don't expect anything like groundbreaking there. And then um, on LinkedIn, just follow me on Christina, um, Christina Marie Garnett. And then also feel free to check out um, the HubSpot community. You can get a um, just Google it and be able to join in, be able to um, to start some conversations there as we grow our advocacy channel and network and HubStars is coming up um, shortly. So keep an eye on that. Quanda, you're up next. All right. So I'm, I'm not going to go into why, because I think once I say this person's name, then you'll be like, oh, yeah, it's just. So for me, superhero wise, um, it's Black Panther. Plain simple. There's mic drop, and there we go. You can find me on all outlets at T Marie PR. Again, that's T Marie PR on all outlets. Thank you, everyone, for the opportunity. Josie, how about you? Uh, well, I love me some Wonder Woman. And just good old tchotchkes around my office, even though they did her wrong in this last movie. So if you do work with DC, please, we need, we need, we, they need your help. Yes. Um, just need some empowerment. Uh, and the theme music, if I could have one song that people knew, oh, that's Josie. Josie's coming. Like uh, Wonder Woman's theme music right now. That's that's pretty amazing. Uh, you can find me at JosieAlquist.com and at JosieAlquist on all those socials. This was so amazing to be invited into this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Jamila, what you got for us? God, I'm stressing. My husband <laughs> kill me. Is he so good with this? I was gonna say Black Panther, but um, since my husband made me watch WandaVision and I actually really, really loved Scarlet Witch, I will say Scarlet Witch because she was everything. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at I am Jamila Walker. My Instagram is me, Mila J. Do not judge on followers. I do have really good content. Just I revamped, but it's also my, I use my Instagram as my gaming because I like to game. So that's kind of my Instagram. Um, and then you can just find me on LinkedIn as Jamila Walker. And this was great. Thank you for having me, Heather. And this was an awesome panel. Thank you all so much for this. And thank you to CupRap for having this incredibly fun opportunity to do this live. Um, I didn't even have to, you know, make horrible noises and start over any of the lines to say, Bob, please edit this later. Um, so that's exciting. And to our listeners, if you'd like to explore our topic further and all our CupRap people out there, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at hdotchel.